This podcast is offered by San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Thank you very much for having me. And um, I feel honored to be here in Christina's and Tova's practice period. And uh, understand that the theme of the practice period is refuge. And so I think that's the expectation that I'll speak about this as well. And before I continued, it'd be nice to be reassured that you can hear me well enough. Can I have some something? Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. So I think of the practice, the experience of refuge as being quite profound, kind of coming out of the depth of Dharma practice. It certainly uh, was um, something that I only discovered that had any meaning for myself uh, after I had practiced for a while. And something that I came to into contact with became important, became more important than anything else, became something to orient my life around, live my life by, uh, kind of a guiding star, involved in intention, and something quite heartfelt, a certain kind of maybe devotion or love that uh, all kind of are held in this concept of refuge. And I want to begin by emphasizing or discussing the verbs that are the activity, the actions associated with refuge. And maybe some of this you've heard before. Um, in the in the Japanese and Chinese Buddhist tradition, in Japanese, they, uh, refuge is pronounced kie, and the character for ki uh, means to return, to return home. And that's quite something to, uh, sometimes we say taking refuge, but the literal um, meaning is to uh, return home. And then the e part, the e, the e part, the character is a character for to be, in a, uh, to be depend, to depend on or to be in accord with. So it's to be in, in accord with returning home. And so what is that home that is our refuge? What is that returning, which is the refuge? In the Pali tradition, the Theravadan tradition that I teach in down here in Peninsula, the action associated with refuge is walking, going, and uh, walking to refuge, going to, we usually say going to refuge, but uh, literally, the word literally means to walk, which has the uh, uh, maybe the connotations that it's something you bring all of yourself to. Uh, when you walk, you take everything along with you, who you are, and uh, nothing excluded. So you walk to refuge. So in both of these uh, Buddhist traditions, there's a, an action associated with refuge. And... Um, I'd like to propose that that action uh, um, has a uh, has two qualities to it. 
it has something that we initiate and do, and then something that happens in response to that. One of the, you know, lines of the chants that we do at Zen Center that keeps coming back to me, you know, on a somewhat regular basis is the, the line, it responds to the inquiring impulse. And, uh, and the inquiring impulse maybe is what we offer, but then something responds to that. We go for refuge and something responds, something appears. Um, so, <clears throat> so I likened it to uh, being a host to someone who comes and stays at your home. Maybe it's someone quite wonderful. Maybe it's Christina or Tova or both of them come to your home and uh, you're the host. And if they came to your home for a while, you would probably engage in certain actions of hosting them. You would offer them tea, you would offer them a meal, you'd, you know, you would make space for them. And if there's a more comfortable chair to sit in, you probably wouldn't sit in it yourself. You would offer it to them. And so there's an action you do of being a host, but you're also in a certain way getting yourself out of the way. Your own preferences aren't that important anymore. You're kind of uh, in, a, in, a, in a few mo for a little while, you're maybe even a deference to them or respect to them, where you kind of you kind of let go of yourself, maybe happily, delightfully, because of course you want to host them and take care of them and in a nice way. Generosity has some of the same qualities. To be generous, the act of generosity, you have to do something. You don't just sit on your couch and you know, pick your nose and that's your generosity to the world. Uh, usually generosity involves enacting, doing something. In the Japanese tradition, when I was in Japan practicing there, that, um, I, you know, it was, it was so, I learned this first at Zen Center and then more deeply when I went to Japan, to give something, to give it with both hands. There's something about like, being all of yourself into the act of giving. It's not casual, it's intentional, it's fully there. You really mean it. And so there's something you do when you give, but at the same time, there's something you're giving up, you're letting go of, you're freeing yourself from, you're, you're not taking, not no longer assuming this is mine and belongs to me, myself and I. There's a letting go that happens. And in the Pali tradition, the Theravada tradition, the word for generosity and the word for letting go is the same word. It's the word is uh, chaga. And, um, and so here we have again, this dual action of doing something and something else happens, this letting go. And, and in being a host or being generous, it might not be the first thing that you're thinking about letting go. If it's such a natural or almost natural generosity or hosting, the, the putting oneself, putting oneself aside, like one's not in some kind of healthy way. It's not about me anymore. It's about this thing that I'm offering and doing. 
And the last example that I like is the word respect. That respect also is an action that we engage in, we choose to do, but simultaneously in choosing to be respectful, there is a kind of letting go of self that happens. A kind of, I'm not, you know, it's not about me anymore. It's about sort of maybe deference to the person that you're respecting. And so refuge is like this. And in fact, in a certain way, maybe what we're taking refuge in is the part of this actions that we do that involve a letting go of our attachments to things, letting go of our preoccupation with ourselves, letting go of um, uh, conceit, a certain kind of healthy kind of freeing ourselves from something that uh, just feels so good and wonderful to not have it around anymore, not burdening it or, or clouding the situation. And so to go for refuge in this way of respect and devotion and, and willingness and offering ourselves, taking all of ourselves to it. Um, and then in response or a part of this, there's uh, what we're taking refuge in is that freedom that comes from that. And maybe the, the Japanese and Chinese idea of uh, uh, kie, uh, returning home. You know, if you're far from home and lost, recently I was, uh, just today I was reminded of the time I was lost in the woods and the snow and it was getting dark. And, um, and then I made it home. And, uh, and it felt so good to be home out of the danger of the winter and the dark and the snow and being lost. And, um, and uh, so I had to do something to get home. And, um, but once I was there, there was a kind of, you know, in the best uh, kind of, I don't know, best, but in one way of being at home, the expression, there's a lot that we let go of when we're home. We let go of perhaps our social self, the way we're trying to please people or get people to like us or to prove ourselves or apologize for ourselves or you know, be someone or something. And, you know, at home, you can just kind of, some people say just be ourselves, but it's a be ourselves where it's a whole bunch of selfing that we usually do has been let go of. So in that coming home, being home, that letting go, that settling something, putting something down, there's refuge. And it's a refuge, which is really great to go for it, to return to when the alternative is worse. So in the teachings of the Buddha, this ancient tradition of the, the this Theravadan tradition, it's interesting that the Buddha never instructs anyone to go for refuge, uh, engage in the triple refuge. He's, he approves of it, but he doesn't instruct anyone to do so. But he does instruct people to uh, go for refuge, uh, take, take on as refuge some other things besides the Buddha and the Dharma. And there's a number of in very interesting things that he uh, ch champions as uh, what you take refuge in, but it's not in himself. And um, so one very famous passage is a time where 
near the time when he was dying, he knew he was dying and he was giving his last teachings. And you usually sit up when a teacher knows they're dying and they're giving their last teachings. And he said, um, be a refuge unto yourself with no other refuge. Uh, take the Dharma as your refuge with no other refuge. And because this is uh, kind of saying these two sentences together, the way to kind of make sense out of them, since he says, take no other refuge, is self and Dharma have become the same. We become the Dharma. What is that? I thought that you, I thought you studied it in a book. But you become the Dharma. Or how do you become the Dharma? What, what is the Dharma we take refuges? That's the self. And then he goes on to explain that it's the four foundations of mindfulness, the four ways of developing in a kind of a lucid kind of awareness. That it's in awareness, the practice of developing awareness, that we, um, we find this refuge. And in the practice of awareness, that there's something about what we offer to become aware and what then responds to that, what arises in that. And one of the things that kind of occurs together is that the more we offer our awareness to something, the less energy or effort or engagement goes into conceit, goes into greed, goes into ill will and hatred. Sometimes also goes, doesn't go into fear. Something shifts. And then to the degree to those, those remain, when they're held with, with a kind of clear awareness, it changes the whole game of what it means to have greed, what it means to have conceit or hatred even. When, there's, when, it's, when, it, when we're not caught in it, but it's held and seen in the field of awareness. And that's a better alternative than being caught in greed, hate, and delusion, conceit, and acting around it and causing harm in the world. So if, you are, if your mind is caught in attachments, clinging, states of minds which are stressful, that diminish you, that limit you, that lead to your own harm and the harm of others, then I would propose that the better option is refuge. And if you understand something about your, your capacity to not live in conceit, live in hatred or delusion or, or in greed, not live in, in being entangled and caught in your experience, but know something about awareness practice, waking up practice, being pre fully present practice with it, then there we begin finding the refuge. So when the Buddha said, make yourself the refuge, the, and the Dharma the refuge, no other refuge, he was pointing to this awareness practice. It's interesting that uh, 
the Buddha talked about how he had a refuge. And what he said was that he made of himself a refuge. Rather than finding a refuge in himself, he wants to emphasize the action that he somehow made that refuge. And here we get this wonderful duality or this, this, or no, this pairing up that goes on of what we do and what, we, what happens in response to that. And if certain actions that we do are freeing, certain ways of acting in the world are freeing, and that freedom that we feel inside, that's the refuge. That's the place to come home to. And, um, and as uh, when the Buddha was going to announce that he was about to die, it was time for him to die, he said, um, I have made of myself a refuge, and now I will leave you. What, a, what an amazing thing to say when you're dying. It would be nice for each of us, maybe, to be able to say something comparable in the face of our own death and know there's a refuge even there. And to have somehow practiced and lived and engaged in such a way that we knew how to tap into it. We knew how to find it. We knew how to awaken at that refuge. And then, you know, I'm leaving you and now I'm dying with confidence, with peace and something like that. So one of the things that Buddha, the saint, this Buddha in the Pali tradition, uh, talked about another thing he talked about taking refuge in is refuge in um, action. The Pali word is kama, karma, but here karma means just simply means action. That um, uh, our, that what we do is really important. And, um, and I think in the Zen tradition, uh, I think uh, there's a lot of appreciation for action. Um, the, the, um, the Japanese word for practice, shugyo, has the word action in the gyo part. And, um, the, um, and I, I learned this at Zen Center, that when you sweep the zendo, during soji, you really sweep. You're there to sweep. And, uh, and you kind of give yourself to that activity. And uh, as fully as it makes sense without any stress and hurry, but just you know, the action of sweeping becomes the practice, becomes the place of refuge, becomes a place of freedom. We give ourselves over to the sweeping and something happens that is different than maybe what it was earlier when you were caught up in your plans for the day, your fears and anxiety of what's going to happen. If we give ourselves to something. And um, one of the great trainings I had at Zen Center was chopping carrots when I was in the kitchen at Tassahara. So it took a while to learn that training because I didn't want to be in the kitchen. But they had this, I had learned this practice. You just give yourself over to the activity. And so I gave myself over, or did try to give myself over to the carrots. And eventually the carrots won. 
eventually it became just me and the carrots and the carrots one. I was there with the carrots chopping them and it became freeing. It became a reference point for me about how to do all kinds of things um, by giving myself to something. And, but what is that giving over? What is that action that's freeing? And I'd like to suggest this dual aspect of it, of what we give, what we offer, and what, in a way that we, something inside lets go, something inside opens up, something that we, we change who we are slightly, we come home because of the way that which we give, the way that we act. So if we act like I did in the beginning of my kitchen time, the only thing I was contributing to the world was annoyance and disappointment and ideas like, I don't want to be here. But you know that, I don't think that helped the world much. But um, as I practiced and practiced and practiced with those carrots and those onions, I learned the joy of just giving myself over, over to something. And um, it wasn't that I learned to love chopping, how do I say this? It became a whole new world. You know, what I didn't like before, I don't know if that, I don't know how, exactly what happened, but it just became such a pleasure, such a wonderful thing to just doing my carrots and onions, just doing that. So this action, we find it in action. And that's, I think it's one of the strengths of, of Zen practice is uh, practice in action, in activity. And maybe we learn in Zazen something about doing this. Zazen is an activity of a certain type. And we learn how to purify that activity or refine that refuge in the activity of Zazen. And then we discover a certain letting go of things that are kind of harmful to, to be doing with our minds and hearts. We discover there's better, better ways of living, better ways, better places to take refuge in better places for our confidence to be. And we let go of the confidence that is implicit that we had maybe confidence in hatred, confidence in conceit, confidence in desires and confidence in fear. And it gets replaced by a confidence in this kind of new way of being in the world of acting that where there's freedom, where there's a deeper coming home. The Buddha also talked about refuge in uh, kind of explain this way, in his way, kind of uh, uh, taking uh, uh, the ref what the refuge is, the ultimate refuge is the ending of greed, the ending of hatred, the ending ending of delusion. And uh, that's the refuge. So how do we live in the world? How do we act so that we're ending these powerful forces that cause so much harm? So we live the better alternative. How do we find that home, coming home to ourselves, coming home to the Dharma, coming home to freedom? 
that we recognize as the refuge. And then once it becomes the refuge, once we know it, then there's something like the vow or the aspiration or the orientation that can become sometimes the central organizing principle of a Dharma life. That the Dharma life is about organizing everything in relationship to this <clears throat> refuge that we discover. And then the refuge that we make, the refuge that we find, that we come home to, some point translates into we become a refuge for others. Isn't it wonderful to be with people who don't have a lot of greed or hatred or ill will, delusion? Isn't it refreshing to bound people who don't have a lot of conceit? It's refreshing to bound people who can act in the world and take care of things and do things, but there's a kind of freedom in how they do it or kind of a, a, a lack of clinging and attachments and resistance and annoyance and disappointment and resentment that they're doing it. There's just this freedom and ease. And we can all become that. And it is a kind of refuge for others because I think it's easier for people to come home to themselves when they're around someone who's at home with them, themselves. And we become a refuge for others a safety for others. I'll read, uh, I'll end with um, reading a passage from the, these early Pali suttas from the middle length discourses. This is uh, after the Buddha died. And uh, a uh, Brahmin goes and finds uh, Ananda, one of the Buddha's main disciples. And, he be, and um, the Brahmin realizes the Buddha has died and he's asking about this. And he says to Ananda, is there any single monastic um, who the blessed one as appointed to lead the Sangha. So now that the Buddha is dead, is there's another, another monastic who's going to kind of take over as the leader of the community? And, um, and Ananda says, no. And um, then he asks, the Brahmin asks, well, has the community of monastics, the Sangha, have they appointed someone to be the leader in charge after the Buddha died? And um, the Buddha says, no. And then, um, uh, then the, this Brahmin is a little bit perplexed by this. So then he asks, well, but if you have no refuge, what is the cause of your concord? If you have no refuge, how can a big community like you be, you know, 
in you in you know in harmony and and uh, Ananda says, we are not without a refuge. We have a refuge. We have the Dhamma, the Dharma as our refuge. So I think it's a quite powerful statement that at least that soon after the time of the Buddha, you know, they probably felt his, his, that he is no longer around. And they didn't see that he was a refuge anymore, maybe. And so they, they saw that Dharma was the real refuge at this point. Down through the centuries, uh, many people, including us, I think, have found that uh, there's still a way to, to go for refuge to the Buddha. But maybe that wasn't so obvious in the first years after he died. But the Dharma, in any case, that's what the Buddha pointed to. And maybe dharma is an action, or dharma is a way of acting and being and doing, whether in zazen or sweeping the zendo floor or chopping vegetables or talking with friends or whatever we're doing. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma Talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we all fully enjoy the Dharma.